Good evening, everybody. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for letting me join you with worship and with communion. It's kind of an interesting thing always for me to think about. It's all the different places I've ever been. And languages change, culture changes, and all these things. But there's a few things that are always the same. It is God's people gathering for God's word, praising him, taking communion together, celebrating Jesus. And no matter what culture, what language it is, those are the things we all understand. <laughs> And it's a great thing to be a part of no matter where we are in the world. And I was asked today to share with you guys from the book of Romans. And before we get started, I was thinking about this question. You guys can discuss it at your table. You don't have to be honest if it's you. Maybe you can just pretend it's somebody that you know. But the question would be is, do you know anybody who's a hoarder or a pack rat? Um, and why do you think it is? That some people, maybe not, obviously not you, but some others maybe have this tendency to uh, hoard things and pack things away. So why don't you kind of discuss it amongst yourselves real quick. Like what is it that causes people to do so? I'm not asking for right or wrong. I'm just what you, what you think. That's the idea. It's what you think is the answer. All right. So what are some of the reasons? What do you guys think? Some, what is that tendency? Like why is it? That some people, obviously not yourselves, but some people have the tendency to hoard things or to pack things away and not get, get rid of stuff. I'm, I'm security. security. It's like a Being security, comfort, something you know. I and Uh-huh. Like, that's what I relate to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like part of my past. Okay, so part of your past, some memories, comfort. Anybody else? Yes. Ah, you never know. Yeah, you never know where you're going to need it. You never know. That's true. Someday, possibly, you're still going to need that. I'll come to some of those things, like stuff like that I found before. Anybody else? I think it's actually it's a pretty good answer. It's a pretty good answer. I was thinking about this. Um... Ooh, it was a long time ago now. About 10 years ago, I moved into this house, and nobody had lived in this house for about 10 years. Um, Jeremy has also been in this house as well. And it was an elderly couple who lived there, and there was this shed. And you could not, when you open up the door, you couldn't get inside of it. And the thing was huge, and it was full of everything. And for years, I pushed, can I just clean the whole thing out? And they're like, well, you never know. You might need something. Something might be missed. There's memories in there. I'm like, really? And one day I went in there. I found newspapers that are 25 years old. I found a refrigerator that didn't work. I found a rotary phone. Like, I mean, come on. Yeah, like, you would never get need a rotary phone. All of this stuff has been packed away, blankets, everything. And it was just sitting there 10, 15, 20 years just kind of rotting away. And I was thinking, why do we hold on to stuff like that? I was also thinking about myself once when I was backpacking. It was a while ago, too, and I was traveling. I didn't think about it before I started, about how much stuff I should probably carry. Um, walking around, jumping trains and buses, it can get kind of loaded down. And I start out with a lot of stuff, and as I was going, I was picking up all these things to keep for memories. And I started realizing the more things you get, the heavier it gets, and you have to carry everything around with you. And it starts weighing you down, and it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And I got to a point where I'm starting thinking, well, do I really need this many pair of socks? Do I really need this many T-shirts? Do I really need this many pairs of shoes? And I remember I was in Poland, and I was uh, about to go visit this museum. And I saw this empty lot that had been overgrown with bushes. 
And I remember taking my bag off and just throwing it in the lot, hiding it, and before I went to this museum, and I remember how free I felt, how light I felt. For three months, I've been carrying this heavy duffel bag, and to take it off just for a couple hours, and I was thinking, I have to go pick that up again. i got to carry it around again. It was so heavy, so burdensome. I was thinking about this, and the reality is, though, a lot of us are holding a lot of stuff. We're holding, we're keeping a lot of things around, and maybe in our lives, we're carrying a lot of baggage around. We can carry around a lot of hurts, frustrations. We can carry around tons of stuff. And also some things that are burdens, this has been recently for me, it's not just sin, it's obvious there too, but also we maybe carry around insecurities. We carry around the need to please, especially maybe in our relationship with God, we feel like we're not quite there. Maybe we need to do something to please him, to, to earn his favor. And we carry these heavy, heavy burdens on, pop, on top of ourselves. And we just find ourselves not wanting maybe to go further on. Or we get stuck like somebody in the house and you can't really maneuver around it anymore. And it's starting to smell and it stinks and it's rotting. But it's what we know at least and we're afraid of moving on from there, getting away from there. And I believe the passage we have today, the Apostle Paul wants us to understand what our true freedom in Christ is. What it means to give up tons of these burdens. And there's this one thing, it's on my heart, it's been on my heart recently, is God has done a, a work in my life. And there's one thing we're going to leave tonight with, what I want you to know is this, is that you are dearly loved of God, exactly as you are. And God wants you to live a full and free life in him. And he wants you to have hope. He wants you to have joy. God, I love this phrase, I heard this least recently, God loves you more than you love your own sin. Think about it. God loves you more than you love your own sin. God loves you more than you love your need to please. God loves you more than your insecurities. He loves you more than we could possibly ever imagine. And I think one of our greatest burdens, or I think to free us from these burdens, is to realize and to learn to live in that truth. And that's what sets us free and gives us hope and joy. And so if you've got a Bible, which I hope you do, or you on your app or wherever you got, go to Romans chapter 5. It's a big section. There's a lot of goodies in here. I told Jeremy I'm not going to go through them all, but there's a lot of goodies in here. Um, we're going to look at 11 verses together. What I want to do is just kind of go through and kind of unpack what Paul's saying here and how I feel like it should, can apply for us today and what God really has for us today. So starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, I have to stop there now. This is really important, at least for me. Therefore, it's probably the greatest word in the Bible. <laughs> it's probably one of the greatest words in the Bible. I love that it never says, maybe, probably, perhaps. It's therefore. Therefore, we, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And it starts with therefore, it's there for a reason. So before then, he was talking about Abraham. And some of you know the story of Abraham. He was an older guy. Um, him and his wife, they never had any kids. They're getting close to their other, around their 90s. And God comes to Abraham and says, you're going to have a kid. And through your son, the whole world's going to end up being blessed. And Abraham said, don't you know how old I am? God's like, I, I kind of got an idea. I know all things. And it says that Abraham, though, simply believed God. He didn't understand it. He didn't know how it was going to work. He just simply believed God could pull it off. And God credited that to him as righteousness. And it's the same idea of faith here. Faith here is not simply a hope or an idea of maybe something can happen. It is a firm belief that God will do exactly as he has promised. 
If God has promised us he can do something, and we trust in that thing, it's called faith. A good one other illustration for it is this. I can believe, as I came over here, that an airplane, if I sit on it, the plane, the engineers have designed a plane, and the pilot knows how to fly it in such a way that I can get from Budapest to LAX, for example, or to Phoenix. I can fly across. I can know this in my head. Faith is when I get on the airplane. It's when I put my life on the line and take it with it. That's what faith he's talking about there here. So he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that means it is nothing we have done. It is a complete work of God through Christ. It is a gift given to us. We have now peace with God. How many of you today woke up and had this idea? Today I have peace with God. Good. (laughs) At least. That you have absolute peace with God, regardless of what you had done. You haven't even done anything. You just woke up, and you're already at peace with him. There is no conflict. There is no war with you. I was thinking about this. In my life, I grew up, there's, there's six siblings all together. As you can imagine, we loved each other. But you put six kids together for a long time, war is going to break out. And every once in a while, war would break out. And my mom would have us sit down and, like, have to kiss and make up and, you know, try to restore things, fix things, make things right. And our hearts, though, honestly, it was never that way. You'd have to, like, through clenched teeth say, okay, I'm sorry. And you didn't mean it. And a lot of times I feel like my relationship with God is I knew that God forgave me. I know that he forgave my sins because God has to do that. That's what he promised he would do. But I didn't really feel like God loved me or liked me. Like he actually wanted me or be around me. Or maybe sometimes I did something and I felt like, you know, I just screwed up. Now God's going to be really mad with me. And I have to figure out a way to get myself right with God again. How can I do it? What do I have to do to earn the favor? What do I have to do to make it right? And right here, though, it says, today when I woke up, I had peace with him. Through faith. Between God and me, there is no war. There's no conflict. He's my father. He loves me. Now, will he discipline me? Yes. Do I do things that go against his will? Of course I do. I'm a sinner just like the rest of us. But I'm at peace with God. And I can rest in this peace. I know that God has peace with me and I have it through Jesus. It is a great and wonderful thing to wake up in the morning and say, I got peace with you, God, today. The world, there may be chaos. There may be problems everywhere else. But with him, it's okay. With him, we're okay. And not only that, through him, we have also attained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Grace is undeserved merit. We're giving things not what we deserve. We're giving on top of that more than we deserve. We're giving God's love. We're giving God's mercy. And we're giving God's grace. Through this, through him, we've also obtained this by faith, which we stand. This is our foundation. This is what keeps us from being moved and being shaken. And we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. The hope of the glory of God. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about what are the things that generally I like to hope in, and how glorious truly are they? How great are they? Paul is saying there's a hope, there's something we can hope in, and it's called the glory of God. This is the one day when Christ will come, and he'll come back to this earth, and he'll make everything as it ought to be. He will remove the sickness, he will remove the pain, and it says that his glory will cover the earth like the seas cover the water. And we're going to be swept up in this, and we're going to meet him face to face with no veil, and we will finally behold him exactly as he is. And Paul says, oh, this is a great hope. This is what I dream about. This is what I go for. This is my hope of glory. This is coming, and I know it's coming because now, because I have peace, and I have been justified through faith. It's assurance. Hope here isn't I hope so, like we usually use it. It's not a maybe. He knows for sure that it is coming. He's just got a taste of it. He's just waiting for it. A picture of this I was thinking about is 
Years ago, a friend of mine, I grew up in Phoenix, I grew up in the desert, and a friend of mine from Slovakia had gone there, and he come back, and he was showing some pictures, and he showed a picture of saguaro cactus out in the desert. When I saw it, I could smell the dirt of the desert. When I saw it, I could feel the hot sun on me, the dry air. I could hear the calmness, of the, the quietness of the desert. I knew exactly what it was like, and actually, it was going to be two weeks later, I was going to go there. I was going to go visit and it filled me with a hope. But it wasn't that maybe I'm going to see that. I knew what I was going to see. I knew exactly what it was going to be like. I was just simply waiting for it to come. Paul is saying he is rejoicing in something. He is rejoicing in the hope of glory. The thing that he knows for sure is going to come. Because God has promised it. And God promises. And he keeps his promises. Paul is assured of this. That it is coming. And then this is an interesting part. Not only in that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And I was thinking about this, and I was wrestling with this for a while. When I first got this passage, I was like, really, Jeremy, you want me to go through this one? But uh, <laughs> I was thinking about this. Like, what does it mean to rejoice in our sufferings? Does God want us to take joy when pain comes? Like, say, I hurt myself, it's a good thing, or when sickness or death or things come into our lives. And I don't believe it's that. Because I obviously, I don't think God takes rejoicing in the effects of sin upon life or the brokenness. He came to fix the brokenness. We know Christ himself cried when, when Lazarus died. These things are not joyful for God, and they should not be joyful to us. But yet in the sufferings, we can find a joy. And how is it? And he says that because this, we know that in suffering produces endurance. As we suffer, it pushes us into realms of endurance that we maybe would not have known before. It is like push-ups or it is like lifting weights of faith. We don't know what we got until the pressure hits and we got to push back a little bit. And sometimes when we're first Christians, the Lord is very gracious to us and he gives us this, all these great feelings and all these things and everything's going well. But eventually maybe he's going to want us to start um, getting a little bit stronger. Maybe he'll allow certain things to come into our life that may be difficult for us. But he allows it because he wants us to have endurance. He wants us to be able to keep going on, to follow with him faithfully. Because he knows the next endurance will produce character in us. Again, through the testing we find out what we're really made of. We find out what we really believe in. And as we go through the character building up, he says it produces a hope. Now, again, I was thinking about this hope because it's kind of odd because, you know, so endurance goes into character and character goes into hope. Now, I was thinking as many times, though, in my own life, I don't know about you guys, in my own life, though, when suffering would hit or difficulties would come, usually what it is is a very sobering time. And you start to think about what really matters in life. And many times, again, that there's so many things that we are hoping in, and then there are things that are just so transient. They're just going to be here, and like the, they're going to be like the grass. They're going to come here today, and tomorrow they're going to be gone. We may put hope in our bodies, but our bodies can die. We may put hope in relationships that people will fail us. We can put hope in economies, but economies will fall. We can put hope in public figures or leaders, but they also will be corrupt, and they will fall, or they will go away. We can put hope in a million different things. And millions of different things, but each one of them is going to fail us. And as we go through suffering, many times what God is simply allowing to happen is allowing us to be cleansed of the other things we're hoping in, and he's focusing us back upon him, of the one eternal hope that we have that can never be shaken from us and that can never be taken away from us, and that is the hope of glory to come. The promise, the assurance that one day we will meet him face to face because we have peace with him and because we've been justified by his son. It is the one thing we are completely and utterly sure of. I may fail, you may fail, but God will never fail us. 
And so that is the one place where we can put our hope. So as we're being pushed in this area, as these things happen to us, it builds a character, and this character is now pushing us closer to God, and it's pushing us closer to the things of God and focusing on what eternally matters instead of what temporary maybe I want, but what really matters in life. And this is a loving act of God, I believe, is to remove these things out of our lives. And it may be difficult and hurtful at the time, but God is a loving Father. He knows what he's doing. And since we know we've been justified by faith, what I think is really important about this is I think, at least for myself, I don't know about you guys, sometimes when difficulties would come or suffering would come, I would start thinking, have I done something to anger the Lord? Is this a punishment? Is this something I've done? How Again, the burden of how can I make it right? And that Paul's not saying that's not what's happening. And the way we know it's not happening because he's going to tell us how much the Father truly loves us and also where the full punishment for what we deserve is actually gone. He goes on to say, we'll get there in a second. He goes on to talk about this, and he says that his hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God not only wants us to, to theoretically know or have a knowledge that he loves us, God wants us to experience his love through the Holy Spirit. And again, I think it's something, at least in the Western church, like growing up when I was a kid, we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. He was like, he was like the Trinity was God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Bible. Like, the Holy Spirit never really showed up. Because, like, he's uncontrollable. We don't know what to do with him. But God says he really wants us to experience him. He wants us to know him. And the experience of having the Spirit is to experience the love of God. Like, I can tell my child I love my child. And they may know that. But if I pick my child up, and I hug them and I kiss them, they experience it. And what happens is many times in our sufferings as we're being pushed, but we're yet we're hoping for the glory to come, we're putting our hope in God, is that through the Holy Spirit we get a spiritual hug. We maybe get a kiss. Maybe you feel the assurance of him. His love is just being poured out into you. And that just keeps you going because God's just saying, I am pleased with you. I love you. I have not abandoned you in the difficulties. I am right here with you. Do not be afraid. And how important is it that we need to experience him in those moments? That we need to say, God, we need to experience, not just know that you love me, please let me experience your love. Because you promised that the Holy Spirit has been given and it can be had. It can be had. And so I think we're supposed to pursue it. And he shows us, though, how we can know this all to be true. He says, for while we were still weak, and I love that. And it's the one thing we've got to remember. We are weak. But Christ is strong. It is in our weakness that God came to save us. It is not in our strength. Because if it was in our strength, we could save ourselves. Christ never needed to come. It is in our weakness. And we need to remember our weakness because it makes us dependent. And that's, that's the position we need to be. Constantly is dependent upon God, dependent upon his scripture, dependent upon the spirit. We cannot do this by ourselves. We are not called to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We are called to be dependent upon the one who knows how to carry us through. While we're so weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. And that's true. I mean, I don't know. I was thinking, I was watching the news last week, and there's this guy, he did something pretty bad. Like, he was tweaked out and walked into a house and picked up a kid and, like, used him as a human shield to protect himself. And I was watching that going... I would not only would I not die for that guy, if that was my kid, I'd probably kill him, you know. That's what's going through my head. I wouldn't die for that guy. My heart doesn't break for that guy. I get angry at him. The problem is that we don't see that we're just like that guy to the Lord. We were enemies with him. We were in opposition with him. We were at war with him. 
And here it says, even in that position, though there's guys like this, it says, even though we were like that, but God shows his love for us, that's you and that's me, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. While we're still yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loved you more than you loved your sin in the moment. He looked at you and decided to love you. He loves you. He didn't love you after you got your act together. And you still don't have it together, I'm pretty sure. He didn't love you. He didn't wait for you to make yourself approved of him. He didn't wait for you to become strong enough to become good enough. He loved you at that moment. He loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you, to die in your place, to receive the very punishment that you deserve. And he says this, because God's he died for us, since therefore, again, therefore, I love that word, we have now been justified by his blood. This is the blood of Christ. We celebrate when we took communion. It has been poured out. The lamb has been slain. We have been covered by it. We have been set free. We have been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? God's wrath no longer sits upon his children. As I said before, when we go through difficulties, it is not God's wrath upon you. God loves you. He loves you. He is not upset with you. He loves you. You may be going through difficulties. It may be God teaching you. Maybe God disciplining you. But it is never his wrath upon you. He is no longer judged to you if you are in him. He is your father. He loves you. Sorry, I lost my place here. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now are we reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? God reconciled us as enemies even before we even asked him to. He didn't ask permission. He started the way. He made the way. He initiated it. God had a plan from the very beginning, before he made the world, that he was going to save sinners through his son, and he was going to bring him to him from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue in the whole world. This is what his great heart desires to do, and he decided to do it through his son. And now he continues to do it through his church. He is reconciling people. He is bringing them to him. He is drawing them to him. He is drawing to him by his love. Saying, please come to me. Much more then shall we rejoice in God through Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. All of this has led us to a point. We're saying we're, we're, we're rejoicing in the hope and the glory to come. We're rejoicing in our sufferings. And now we're rejoicing in God. Why? Because we know we've been reconciled fully and utterly through the Son, Jesus Christ. The debt has been paid. Everything has been made in. The way has been made for us. We simply walk through it by faith. That is our position on it. We do nothing. Before we do anything else, we do nothing. We simply receive it and accept it and live in it. And again, this is so important in my heart because I grew up in church. I grew up serving in churches. I've been serving the last 15 years. And I can tell you what can happen is you can re- you start doing the, um, you can forget somebody. You can forget that God loves you. You forget that Christ did everything, that you're fully accepted in him. And you start thinking you got to do something to earn it. you got to do something to get it from him. And then you start judging yourself, am I good enough, not good enough? And you got to just get that out of your head. <laughs> it's got to fight for joy. you got to fight for hope. And you got to fight to remember the gospel. I think the problem is sometimes that we think is the gospel, like the, the simple gospel that Jesus came to die for us, that he's reconciled us, that he's justified us. It's just like we think it's like the diving board into the pool, but the pool is the deep stuff. Then we got to get some deeper knowledge and deeper understanding. No, the gospel is the deep stuff. 
It's just we got to learn to live by it. we got to learn to let it get into our bones, and so we live by it. So we're truly convinced of it, and it leads us then to do things we would never possibly do before. Because we're fully convinced that we are loved and accepted in God. And it frees us to go and do the very things that God has asked us to do. We don't do it out of fear anymore. We do it out of love. We do it out of gratitude. And it just frees us and changes us. And again, I, just, I know I'm like beating a dead horse, but it is so important to me that we understand that. If anything else you get tonight, remember you're dearly loved of God. And you can hope in that. You can trust in that. You can follow that. You can go to bed tonight with that. You can wake up with that tomorrow. No matter what else comes in your life, no matter what else comes up in your day, no matter who calls you, whatever happens, that never changes. That never changes. Never. You can put your hope in it. You can put your trust in it. And I was thinking about this. Um, what could it look like into, in the life of a person? And... Um, I grew up in a church um, listening to hymns, the older hymns. And I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Fanny Crosby before. She wrote over a thousand hymns. Like, to God be the glory is one of them. This is tons of them. Um, Fanny Crosby, uh, when she was, they realized when she's about, I think it was three years old, that she, um, she, had, she was, something was wrong with her eyes. And they used the medicine to try to fix it and ended up blinding her. So she grew up blind. Not seeing anything. She didn't remember any color. She didn't remember anything. Um, later on, as she grew up, somebody once asked her, and she was only like 10 at the time, 10 or 11 years old at the time. They asked her, are you upset that the Lord has let you become blind? Are you upset that you, you can't see colors, you can't see faces, you can't see anything? And she goes, no, I'm not upset at all. I said, why not? She goes, the first face I will see will be that of my Lord. Later on in her life, um, she went to school, she went to the university, studied, did very well. She married another man who was also blind. Um, they had a child, the child died. The husband never really knew how to recover from it. And ended up, he never divorced her, but he, ne he basically left her. And they never reconciled together again. And she ended up living poor in New York City, writing songs just to support herself. And actually giving money to the poor as they come to her. Because she said she never knew maybe it was going to be an angel in disguise because she couldn't see who they were. And so she'd always just simply give. And she would always give. She ended up starting a school for the blind. She did all kinds of stuff. She basically would take care of whole neighborhoods. Her life was just given to this, this cause. And when she died, they gave her on her gravestone exactly what she asked for. On her gravestone, it read, Fanny Crosby, I did what I could. That was her life. And I was singing about a person like her. And I was thinking about what she said when she was 10 or 11 years old. Fits so well into this passage. She had gone through so many difficulties in her life. From an abandoning her husband, losing a child, blinded. And yet she hoped in something completely different. She didn't break her. It drew her closer to the Lord. To the point where she yearned and hoped for the day when her eyesight would come back. And the first face she would see is that of Jesus Christ. And that moved her to write thousands of songs in praise and glory and honor to him. And to devote her whole life to giving everything to him. Because everything else that we could possibly hope for had been removed from her life. And she only had one thing left. And that was Jesus and Jesus only. The one who lived and died for her. The one who has given her peace. The one who has reconciled her back to God. And she lived that out by faith. So I want us to encourage you, church, brothers, sisters, friends. If there's anything else I want you to know tonight is this. You are dearly loved of God. He has reconciled you. 
He wants you to live in peace. He wants you to live in freedom. He wants you to draw near to him. He is already drawing near to you. Hope in him. Put your joy in him. Cherish him. When you go to bed tonight, remember you are loved with him. You can sleep peacefully. No matter what comes, he will never abandon you nor forsake you. He is not angry with you. He cherishes you. Each and every one of you. Not only you. There's a whole world of people out there. It's a big one. There's a lot of people out there. The same kind of people that are enemies with God, just like us. The same kind of people who maybe we don't love, but God dearly loves them as well. And they need to know the hope that we have in Christ. That it's not a hope we have in anything else. It's not a hope we have in our money. It's not a hope we have in our friends. It's not a hope we have in our programs. Nothing else is a hope in Christ that can never be shaken because of what he has done for us. And they need to hear that. And we need to be the salt and light. And we need to be Christ for them so they can see it. And I'm so happy um, as I'm here with you guys because I have experienced it in your generosity. I've experienced it in your hospitality. I experienced it in so many ways here. So I want to encourage you. It is among you. I would encourage you to keep walking in it, to keep growing in it. And remember, the gospel is not the springboard into life. It is the foundation on which you will stand. And it is the very thing in which it will save you, has saved you, and will save you. And when you stand before Christ, it is the only thing that's going to get you in. Is you're going to say, I've been saved by your blood. And he will say, welcome in, my good and faithful servant. Join me in paradise. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you that you are not a God like the other gods, that you are the true and living God, that you are a loving God, that you are a God who's spoken to us and you want us to know you, that you have made the first step, that you have set everything in motion, that you have done the, all the legwork, you've done everything in simply opening up the way for us to come to know you. And I pray, Lord, that we would receive your love, that we would receive grace from you. I don't know what burdens people have here. I don't know what things they're packing away, memories or attitudes. I don't know what it is, God, that they got in their hearts. But I pray that through the Holy Spirit, you'd be showing them the things that they're hoarding away, the things that they're keeping there, the things that don't matter, the things that are holding them down, that are burdening them. And you would simply help them to let them go. That they could have experience freedom. I know, Lord, that it is, it's... It's a good concept, and many of us, though, don't live in the true freedom that Christ has promised. We are burdened, we're burnt out, we're heavy laden, and he simply says, come to me. And my burden is like, give up that stuff and take upon yourself mine. So, Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage and the strength and the power and the spirit to go to you, to release those things. If they need to talk to somebody, that you would give them courage to speak to somebody about it. They'd be able to follow it up, that they'd be able to experience freedom. I also pray, Lord, as I know there's people in this room who are going through afflictions, and I don't want to downplay them. I know that we're on the spectrum. We can never judge um, difficulties. We never trust judge sicknesses for everybody is different. Some sicknesses maybe appear to us to be harder than others, but, Lord, you know the suffering in the heart. You know what the people are going through. There may be marital problems. There could be family problems. There could be financial problems. There could be health problems. Whatever they are, Lord, the difficulties that they're going through, I pray that you'll Reassure them, as you promised, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd pour your love out for them, that their hope will not be put to shame. That they would, once again, be united to you. They would feel your closeness and your presence. Lord, if they've been putting their hope into something else, as I know I constantly do, I pray that you would show us right now where it is we're putting our hope in. What false idol, what false thing, what temporary thing is, it's simply got to go. 
because it's, a, it's not going to last under the pressure, Lord. But we know you will. I pray that you help us today as we leave here and just go on through the evening to know that we have peace with you. And not only do we know it, but let's experience it. Let's, let's experience the reconciliation. Let's experience your joy, your love. And as we experience the Lord, may it cause us to rejoice. May it cause us to hope. And to rejoice and hope in you, Lord. To find true strength in you. True power in you. To keep going day after day back in the things that we got to do in this world from family and work and things like that, Lord. May we find our hope in you. And Lord, I want to pray for this church that you will continue to encourage it, that you continue to grow it, and that they'll continue to be salt and light in their communities, that you'll be launching out all these individuals into the world, that they will show and live this gospel in such a way that people will simply ask, what is the hope that they have found? What is the hope that they have? And they'll be able to say it's Jesus. And they'll be able to give good answers and right answers, that your spirit will be working, that you'll call many more to you, that you'll call them out of darkness and bring them to your wonderful light, that you'll take people out of the pathway to hell and you bring them to the pathway of heaven, that they too will have peace and reconciliation with you. Because, Lord, it is available. That we remind reminded once again of what truly matters is that one day we will all die and stand before you. And the decisions that we make according to your son is the most important one out of any other decision we have to make. And the information regarding your son is the most important information that needs to be out there. So I pray, Lord, that you would do this in Camarillo. May you start a revival here that spreads on out through the rest of California. If it be within your will, Lord. Amen.